Welcome to Wine Country Women with Michelle Mandreau, the podcast for wine enthusiasts who are curious not only about what goes in the bottle, but the remarkable women who make these distinctive winemaking regions so special. Each week, Michelle introduces you to a prominent woman and takes a peek inside her life. Welcome to today's Wine Country Women podcast. I'm Michelle Mandreau. And I am with Cynthia Lohr, the co-owner and chief brand officer for J. Lohr Vineyards and Wine. She is also featured in Wine Country Women Heritage Families. Cynthia, I am over the top delighted that we've been able to sync our schedules to talk today. Oh, thank you, Michelle. It's great to have virtual coffee with you. <laughs> yeah, this is going to be fantastic. You and your father and family have a great story and one that everyone should know about. So let's dive right in, shall we? We shall. Thank you so much for the opportunity. When you were a high schooler, what did you think you wanted to be when you grew up? <laughs> That's such a great question. I love that because I often uh, think back to those days myself, and I know that I have always been really drawn to the helping professions. So actually, uh, back then, I was doing some peer counseling, and I was working with suicide prevention as a volunteer, so I would say that I was really focused on what I would back then call the helping professions. So. I had it in my mind later on that I might become a marriage, family, and child uh, counselor or something of, of that ilk. So I was gathering some volunteer experience and was just very, very drawn to really empowering others and uh, finding best ways to to be in the world, whether it was through you know a complex family situation or or what have you. So that's really what I was thinking back then. I didn't start to really become attracted to the concept of brand until a little bit later. You went to UC Davis and you got a Bachelor of Arts degree in French and a <laughs> yeah. minor in psychology. So yeah. obviously your interest may have shifted a tad bit. <laughs> what was the thought process then? <laughs> well, much like uh, many young people, I think nowadays, it's hard to predict what your path is going to be in college and so it is ironic that i studied french but i have always had a knack for languages and i fell in love with the french language french poetry the early uh, french writings of flaubert and camus and so many others and found myself just really attracted to the deeper meanings of those early writers so I excelled in French poetry and uh, reviews of, of challenging books. And so I don't know that I knew that I would do anything with a French degree back then. I would say my more applied learnings came from psychology. Uh, so from my minor, I delved really deeply into abnormal psychology and had just a lot of fun with that. And that really shaped and influenced, I think, my outlook on life as a as a humanistic problem solver, if you will. From UC Davis to internet and technology, why did you hone in on that? It's funny, I actually, I look at my career now and my 22 years with J. Lore Vineyards and Wines, I look at it as almost my third career because straight out of college, I did work for a very short period of time for J. Lore in San Jose 
I was a tasting room host and also worked in what we then called the quality control lab. Mm. So I was getting my feet wet, but really learned that nepotism was not for me. So I left after about nine months or so, and I was involved in the education field. I was a substitute teacher. I worked at St. Mary's College helping adults get uh, into degree completion programs. But I felt like I really found my calling with the early internet. So we're talking, you know, mid nineties and the internet was not really yet a thing. There were solutions such as internet made simple, internet in a box. And I was business development director for a fabulous firm in San Jose called PRX Strategic Marketing Communications. And so there was a heavy community relations focus. There was a heavy product launch focus. And I just fell in love with the burgeoning internet because to me, it represented the intersection between the arts, entertainment, and digital. It was a way to connect and prosper creativity. And I just absolutely fell in love. So my first real, real kind of big awakening was in the mid-90s. I was working with a firm called Meehouse Ryan Wong. It later became Meehouse Ryan Group. And I just had the best luck because my first client was Yahoo. And so Yahoo, we launched about a week after my arrival. And it was such a heady, heady time because everyone was trying to figure out what is this internet? What does it do? What what are uh, you know categories on the web? How do we navigate? How do we promote? What's the power? So it was a really exciting time for me. And I fell in love with building uh, brands, building um, uh, business to consumer brands, business to business brands, launching companies, and was actually quite successful at it because it really, to answer your question, I honed my skills on kind of persuasive marketing, um, uh, best ways to communicate and influence and detail and elucidate. And uh, I would say, I guess the rest is history. Well, you were a pioneer as a woman working in the technology industry and being on the cutting edge with Yahoo and and all of uh, the marketing that was to come. So that was probably a very exciting time for you. It was truly a a great time. Uh, I think all of us who were in technology had a tremendous amount of autonomy in the spirit of collaboration was very widespread because we were all figuring it out uh, together. And the pace was very uh, quick. So tremendous competition, uh, tremendous fertile ground for all these newly funded companies that were trying to differentiate and and lasso the the crazy World Wide Web, if you will. And so after two years at this one agency, I was recruited to join a company by the name of Alexa Internet, which I also launched uh, just a week after I came on board. And uh, two years after that, Amazon purchased us. So it really was this very almost rogue industry with tremendous opportunity, tremendous risk and reward. But I think what's most powerful is these brands are still with us today. 
And they have absolutely revolutionized Mm -hmm. how we communicate with one another, how we shop, how we go about our daily lives. So uh, I'm very proud of the fact that the brands that I launched had tremendous staying power. And it also gave me great insight into how businesses operate ideally. What is the mix that ultimately impacts the bottom line and how do companies come together to ensure that all the functions and departments are harmonious and holistic Mm -hmm. toward the end goals. And that's the sensibility that I approach to our business, J.Lor Vineyards and Wines. With all the fun, fast and furious environment that you were working in, was your father surprised you came to work for the family business? (laughs) That's a great question. You know, our, our parents always gave my brothers and I free reign to pursue whatever career path or trajectory we would choose. There was never any pressure. But I had a seminal conversation one vacation home from from college, and the family was sitting uh, in a diner having dinner one evening, and my father was talking about the power of our brand, the growth, the milestones, uh, the recognition, what it meant for his employees. And I just remember uh, so deeply that word brand sticking with me. And I became very, very intrigued by, and this is kind of a lifelong pursuit, what makes a great brand, what's behind that connection to consumers and all the various stakeholders that wish to align with that brand. And so I didn't know when or how I would join the business. I just knew that I would join when I had value uh, to Mm. add and perspective to give and the beautiful thing about marketing public relations and branding for tech companies is that it's an entirely transferable skill set to the wine industry because when i came when i came back on board 22 years ago hard to believe but we weren't yet selling our wines online we were not doing internet marketing we were not doing email marketing so i was able to bring a fresh perspective and complement all the great work that was already occurring in our business yes absolutely your father is jerry lore and he is uh, i would say a california wine pioneer you are the only daughter and you joined the company in 2002 and like you said you brought all this great experience and perspective to the family business at a time when companies weren't selling wine online. So you came on board as the director of communications. Can you reflect on those first few years? I was so very much in awe of our sales team and what they were able to accomplish and the reputation that we already had uh, in the marketplace. We We had a a small but mighty marketing team that was uh, very focused on back then and still today what we call point of sale Mm -hmm. and marketing programs for retail. But as we know, the world of communications and influence has changed so dramatically in uh, the last number of years with sustainability and social media and everything. Today, we have a world-class marketing and D2C combination of teams, that's direct-to-consumer, who work together uh, under my oversight and with uh, our collective collaboration with the Lore family, 
winemakers and others. And it's really a well-oiled machine to see just how all these different levers that influence the trade and consumers and, and what it means to tell a brand story and to translate that into sales, but right. ultimately to be true to our ethos as a family business and what it means to be authentic. You had mentioned my father's a pioneer. He absolutely is. He is a, a tremendous icon in the industry and his outlook was informed growing up on a farm in South Dakota. Uh, I know many know this, but it developed for him just a real respect for uh, the land and for uh, soil and soil fertility and best growing practices and planting varieties to their ideal site. And I think that that's a deep part of our success. Is there someone that inspired you or mentored you along the way in your wine career? Was it your father? <laughs> oh, Michelle, you're such a mind reader. <laughs> what can I say? Um, so yes, actually, uh, it is very much my my father. And I'll speak to his influence in just a moment because I've always wanted to point to a single female mentor, but truth be told, if you look around you, I'm sure you feel this way, I absolutely feel this way in my career, there are so many women who inspire me and just empower me to to step into my best self. And I couldn't be more pleased with how our industry is advancing uh, women in um, in various roles, particularly in, in C-suite and roles of uh, presidency and, and, and beyond. However, so whereas my female mentors have been very much peer mentors, I would say that the person who shaped me to be incisive and intellectually curious and to always ask more questions and to be empirically focused to back everything up with uh, data and figures and uh, to never rest on my laurels is indeed my, fa my father. And so I feel very, very blessed uh, for his example of just a, a really um, um, brilliant uh, and compassionate human being who uh, just gives his all to the business because he fell in love with the wine industry when he first stepped uh, foot in Central Coast. And uh, we've been making terrific wines now for nearly 50 years. Jay Lore has over 4,000 acres of estate-grown vineyards in yes. California. And you are today producing 1.8 million cases of wine. Wow. Yes, hard to believe, right? Yes. That, that figure is a little staggering even to us because I think we embrace the, the heart and soul of an artisan winemaking family, even in our Seven Oaks Cabernet Sauvignon, which is over a million cases. And for the wines that we craft, we actually have what we call a winery within a winery for our smaller lot, more exclusive wines, particularly in our J. Lore Vineyard Series tier, which is the big brother or big sister to the J. Lore Estates tier. And so it really is that approach of fine tuning everything, regardless of the size of production, that allows us to just craft these wines that have consistency and quality 
year after year that our consumers adore. We're, we're very fortunate that way to to be thought of as a consumer favorite, and it shows in our uh, numbers and our scans. Well, you have a wine for everyone. <laughs> yes, we do. Right? Yes, we, we actually do, Michelle, with, uh, with nearly 41 uh, distinct wine products, um, many of which are direct-to-consumer only. We certainly do have, have a, a wine for, for every uh, palate and every occasion as well. Is there a hidden gem in the portfolio? Oh my goodness, that's such a great question. Uh, there are so many hidden gems, it's really hard to, to address. But I will say that one of the, the most, it's, a, it's an obvious hidden gem, shall I say, and probably the one that is most easily overlooked, which is why I will raise it because it's so incredibly delicious. And fortunately for consumers, we produce uh, quite a bit of it. It is our Jaylor States Los Osos Merlot. Mm. And for anyone who loves Merlot, you will know that it's got a little bit of, you know, earthy character. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes it can be kind of that uh, very juicy uh, blackberry, blueberry pie dough, almost stewed flavor to it. And for Jaylor, because we grow in Paso Robles, the bulk of our Bordeaux grapes, Merlot for us there shows up as very rich, concentrated, ripe fruit flavors, incredibly juicy, but this just gorgeous, aromatic, almost uh, blueberry with a little bit of white pepper spice and almost this uh, like geranium uh, aromatic profile. It's really quite extraordinary and pairs beautifully with so many foods. And just thinking about it right now, my mouth is uh, watering. Is watering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's really, it's really, really delicious. And you recall many years ago when Sideways came mm. about and eradicated uh, interest in Merlot in favor of, of Pinot Noir. I would like to believe that interest in Merlot is coming back. And so I always like to trial uh, different Merlots with folks to uh, explain through how the different growing regions influence uh, the, the character and, and the flavors and uh, mouthfeel and all of that. But I would say that's a hidden gem. It's, it's not so hidden because it's quite uh, plentiful, but a hidden gem because uh, it's not one to be overlooked i would say absolutely give give it a try and, and let your palate be your guide yeah i love merlot and i i as you've said it is very versatile so it's like mm -hmm. that perfect red wine for any occasion what's been the top moment of your career so far i would have to say that it is outward facing because it represents the culmination of a number of years of focused effort and a dream to build out our footprint in Paso Robles that is more so consumer facing. And I would say that top moment has to do with the recent unveiling of our enhanced JLOR Paso Robles Wine Center. And this was transformative for our family, our employees, and more because we have always been very uh, production driven. We align with what the vineyards uh, give us year to year, and that has been our compass and our focus and how we go about our business. 
but signaling today uh, an increasing interest from consumers to have just top-notch experiences and memorable uh, moments with their wines. We we reestablished our wine center to uh, reflect my father's early South Dakota uh, farm heritage. So we made it more so into like an early farmhouse that, that you would find in the country and radically built out our grounds, uh, patio, nano doors on the VIP tasting salon. And with that, of course, comes enhanced tastings and experiences. And so as chief brand officer for me, this feels like the culmination of many hands to ensure that consumers have the best possible experiences when they're with us in Paso Robles and so that they can take those memories with them when they go back to their respective uh, markets across the country. So I love to be really collaborative and we don't succeed uh, in our business on our own. Uh, so I would say that that's one of my, my uh, uh, pinnacle moments uh, because as I said, it represents uh, many hands coming together to create something beneficial for, for many to, to enjoy. You have two daughters. Are they interested in following in your footsteps? Yes. <clears throat> so I would say yes and no. So the older daughter is a uh, senior consultant with Deloitte right now living in Washington, D.C. And she is very much focused on um, uh, her client work that actually has to do with um, government contracts. And with my pursuit of my master's in public administration right now, we have a tremendous amount that we can always be discussing about the various stakeholders needed to enact policy and get things done. Now, the younger daughter is uh, following in my footsteps. She is a hardcore uh, environmentalist. Mm -hmm. And so she is beginning her internship with JLOR this summer. She is very um, data-driven. She's very resource-focused, uh, very conservation-focused. Uh, and because she knows she's going to inherit uh, a very complex world uh, for her and her children, she's looking to do whatever she possibly can to ensure that all of the choices that we make uh, with water and with recycling mm. and with our land and uh, optimal practices uh, in the vineyards to the extent that she can influence that right now. She's approaching the business from that perspective. So I feel really grateful because it has been entirely organic, this interest of hers uh, stemming from just a real passion for environmental uh, sciences, environmental studies, and geography. She has also become a tremendous cartographer. <laughs> so, oh, wow. she, so she may help us transform our um, our vineyard maps. Who knows? Uh, the, the, the world is her oyster. <laughs> well, it sounds like she is a fantastic attribute and addition to the family business. It's yes, perfect. Yes. She, she, she is. We feel, feel very lucky. 
Learn more about the women who live in wine country when you purchase one of our lifestyle books at winecountrywomen.com. Well, let's shift on to your personal life. Where do you live? What city do you live in? Oh, that's great. Well, we moved out of San Francisco a year ago, north to San Rafael, and we couldn't be happier because it's uh, more sunshine. Uh, it's um, perfectly situated to allow me to run north to Napa or to the East Bay. And I can still get to Paso Robles in about three hours and in 20 minutes. Yeah, that's so, a, uh, <laughs> not too bad. It's a, <laughs> not too bad at, at all. So uh, we love living in, in San Rafael. San Rafael is a nice, quiet uh, community and lots of natural beauty around us. Absolutely. If we took a step inside your home, what would we see? What's your decorating style? Oh, gosh. I absolutely adore what I'll call kind of uh, European boho chic. Now, how does one describe <laughs> that? <laughs> I'm not so... <laughs> sure. What's the predominant color? <laughs> yes. Ah, so predominant colors probably, um, I would say, we have a lot of uh, variations of, um, of soft blues, everything from sky blue and ocean, azure, to uh, creams and uh, other favorite colors for decorating our wheat and, uh, and chocolate and all of that. So I really favor kind of, um, you know, if you're in France or, or Italy and, and, and you walk into an old, you know, stone uh, moss, as, as they call them, or a stone house, I love uh, just very um, textural, uh, components that have a, a um, uh, just kind of a bohemian vibe to it, but with still with some classic European influences. I would say, you know, France and Italy flea markets. If you uh, have have traveled there, there's some beautiful uh, textures, um, beautiful throws, and and you know, pottery and and all of that. So that's how my style runs, and it works well with our home because uh, our home is kind of Mediterranean styled with some beautiful uh, Italian cypress trees dotting the, um, the property. So it all blends together and creates a very relaxing and uh, harmonious feel when you, when you walk in. Wonderful. Favorite room in the house? Ooh, so I am uh, somewhat of a musician. Uh, I have not been singing a great deal recently because uh, my work and my studies occupy the bulk of my time, but we specifically fashioned the uh, living room. We call it the music room, and that's where all of our instruments live. So guitars and drums and a grand piano and violins and uh, various uh, percussive instruments and, and more. Uh, that's the, the room that I love the most because it's meant to be a, a place of community gathering to, to make music and uh, enjoy one another's company. How fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> it's really fun. It's really fun. Well, I... Gosh, I want to ask you, you know, is there something that you can share that people might be surprised to learn about you? And I feel like that um, that little bit of information might apply. But is there anything else? 
Oh, sure, sure. Do you repel, well, uh, do you repel down yeah. mountains? Do you oh, uh, skydive? <laughs> Did you do something crazy as a child that nobody knows about that you can oh, reveal I, I, now? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It was such a great, great question. I would say stemming from this concept of the music room, I adore uh, ethnic music. Mm. And so I have been for the last <clears throat> 35, 40 years, I've uh, been singing mostly in different languages, uh, 23 to be exact. And oh my I, have goodness. I have performed uh, in a multitude of different languages, including uh, had a five year stint with an Afro funk band and a six year stint with a um, Eastern European women's folk ensemble, acapella. So the music and language bug hit me early on, and that's probably one of my greatest uh, pleasures in life uh, beyond raising a family and prospering the good stories of our uh, family brand. But my greatest guilty pleasure um, is probably writing. And <laughs> I don't know how this came, came about, but I just adore writing in all its forms, whether it's a marketing plan or a business plan or an academic paper or poetry or a love note to a friend. Mm. Uh, writing is, is my greatest guilty pleasure. And that probably pinpoints me as a bit of an introvert. And if so, I'll take it. I don't know. <laughs> a performer to a writer. I mean, I think you might be an introvert and an extrovert. I think yeah. you're one of a kind, <laughs> Cynthia. You're one of a kind. Other than your own music, can you tell us what you like to listen to when you have a chance to kick back and relax? I favor these uh, extremely talented uh brooding, intelligent, intellectual male uh, folk rock musicians, I would say two of my favorites that I'm always seeking out are um, the inimitable Ben Harper and then also Hosier. So they are my go-to and <laughs> transformative. We're all going to be Googling um, <laughs> yes, and looking for do. them on Spotify and yes. <laughs> checking them yes, out. Yes, please do. Please, please do. Yes, Ben Harper and, and Hosier are my absolute uh, tops at, at the moment and probably uh, in a very enduring way as way. well. Okay. In the course of your life, I am absolutely confident that you've done extensive extensive traveling is there a memorable or meaningful trip that you can share with us this was 11 years ago uh the girls and my husband sam and i traveled to italy and also to turkey it was my first time in turkey and whereas i've traveled to italy before and my husband actually hails from uh, Calabria region, which is at uh, the, the bottom of, of the boot. Uh, I fell in love with Turkey, not just then, but in college, I lived with a Turkish woman and uh, fell in love with the, the culture, the, the music, the art, the, the food, the people. So spending nine days in Turkey was just transformative for me because it underscored all the reasons I fell in love with the country through my dear friend and what was probably most significant and felt like it was a homecoming 
was when we arrived late or early one morning, if you will, into Istanbul. And Istanbul is one of the most cosmopolitan uh, global cities I've ever visited. It rivals London and New York City in terms of its um, uh, just reach and sophistication. But in the middle of the night, about 3 a.m., I heard this music and I thought, my goodness, who is playing music at this time of the morning? Why are they playing it so loudly? Well, I come to learn the next morning that that was the four or five time per day call to prayer. And it was much uh, of the similar cadence of the Turkish music that I have studied and um, performed. Uh, some of that intonation and some of that uh, lilting melody. And so that felt like such a tremendous, tremendous homecoming for me to be in Turkey on my first morning with call to prayer, uh, bringing me there. It was beautiful. And I'll never forget, we had just such a beautiful, beautiful time as, as a family. And since then, I have yearned to go back and spend a couple of months in Turkey, just absorbing everything I possibly can. That has not yet happened, but uh, never say never. There will be a time in the future, uh, is my hope. You are so busy. I think it's just a matter of calendaring it somehow, <laughs> right? <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. Okay, moving back to home, what's your secret to a dinner party? Ooh, a successful dinner oh, party. Yes. Oh, Michelle, I love to entertain. And to that extent, you'll have to, to come down to my place in San Rafael sometime so I can uh, cook for you and, and others. My secret to a good dinner party. I'm there, by is... the way. <laughs> oh, okay, excellent. Good, good, good. I hope I hoped, I hoped you would say that. Uh, so not only to have a greeting wine, like a soft rosé or a Sauvignon Blanc mm -hmm. or a Valdiguier, but it's ample, ample preparation. So I will, um, I will uh, shop if I can the day before, and then I am uh, preparing all day uh, because I love cooking and I love um, uh, showcasing different uh, flavors and dishes. Mm. And so uh, I have learned through uh, many mishaps in, in my time that the key to a successful dinner party is having the hosts uh, relaxed and ready to, uh, to serve. So um, ample and early preparation is, is key to a successful dinner party. Critical, critical. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so yes. you can be relaxed when your guests yes. arrive. Well, we're going to wrap things up now with five quick questions. They're really, really lighthearted. Okay, what is your favorite holiday? Thanksgiving, because my mother's family convenes in Virginia, and it's a 50-plus year tradition where we all get together and I get to enjoy my mother's side of the family. So Thanksgiving. I love it. A dream dinner guest, who would it be? Michelle, you mean beyond you? <laughs> yes, <laughs> way beyond me, but thank you. <laughs> okay, because I did recently meet him uh, in person and have a picture with him. It's going to be Ben Harper. What's your favorite flower? Cymbidium orchid. What's one word that best describes you? Tenacious. And what kind of car do you drive? I drive a Jeep Grand Cherokee. 
There you have it. Cynthia, you have been fantastic to talk to today. I really appreciate your time. Michelle, I really appreciate the chance to, as I said, have this virtual coffee with you. Thank you so much. This has been so much fun and uh, I just love your style. So thank you again for having me. Visit winecountrywomen.com to join our exclusive list so you can be the first to learn about upcoming offers and events. Grab a glass and join us next week for a new edition of Wine Country Women.